Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What does it mean, really, that God became flesh? This is the wonder and the mystery of the Christmas season and the Christmas story, that God became flesh. Well, allow me to use a, an analogy and then maybe just to ask a few questions to try to show the difference it makes that the God that we worship became a man. First, I want to tell you about two cars. One is an old car that I just got, and one is a much newer car. Last week, I picked up a 1977 MG. You can see it parked right out front. Apparently, some citizen walked by and mentioned it's leaking gas. So, you know, keep all that in mind as I'm saying all this to you. Anyway, it's a very simple car. It's basically a four-cylinder engine with a body around it and three windshield wipers. It's a very simple machine. You know that whenever you drive it as it bumps and, and it sort of scurries along the road. It's got no power steering, so if you're going at low speeds, you've got to really pull it, you know, just to, to get it to turn at all. And you're lucky if it'll go 70 miles an hour because you are taxing all four of those cylinders, and you can really tell that engine is straining to keep up. Con contrast that to our much newer car. Well, it has a touchscreen and all kinds of computer systems. It's an eight-speed, not a four-speed. You can hardly tell the difference when you're going 18 miles an hour or 80 miles an hour. There's all kinds of technology that really removes you from the road. It connects seamlessly to another modern miracle, my smartphone, so I never leave any of the conveniences behind. You're not really driving a car as much as manning the bridge of a United Federation of Planets starship. And when driverless cars become a thing, and I'm told that they're imminent, well, the difference between these two things will be even more stark. When we think about God, it's reasonable and easy to sort of have our heads in the clouds. It's easy to think about God just sort of floating along the surface, never really knowing the road that is our lives. Some say that God, having created the world, just sort of stepped back and retreated to his much-deserved rest, and he is just now letting us sort out everything for ourselves, using our own free will as a supreme God. But the Christian message is that God did not opt for the newer model when he chose to become flesh. No, he went with the, the simple model, the older model, the one that doesn't hide the strains of life, but really puts them on full display, oil and fuel leaks included, apparently. There was a rawness to the life of Christ that hid nothing. And like an old car, he made noise upon his arrival not just when he was born, although that whole thing about Silent Night is lovely of a hymn as it is. He probably cried a lot when he was a baby. But even when he began his ministry, it attracted huge crowds. And maybe even more telling, the demons came out of the woodwork immediately after his baptism. 
Jesus worked with his hands. You know, his life was messy and difficult. He was intimately familiar with the tragedies and the joys of the daily lives of his neighbors. And he was not pretentious at all. Never once in the Gospels do you get the impression he thought of himself as being any better than anyone else. And of course, the scripture in Philippians 2 says that he humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's nothing about Jesus that smacks of inauthenticity in his actions or speech or character. Whatever Jesus was, and of course he was the Son of God, but he was real. He was raw. He was transparent for all to see. Anyone with ears to hear could hear the message of the kingdom of God. You did not need, and you still do not need, to be a genius to understand Jesus. For his teachings are, in many ways, as simple to understand as an old car. Now, I'm not saying that if you drive a car with fancy touchscreens and all, that, you know, God is unhappy with you or anything like that. But I am saying the next time you, you pass an, an old, simple car on the highway, maybe just remember this analogy, and that's all that it is. When God became flesh, he came to us in our most simple condition. There was no errors about him, and his call to follow him wasn't complicated. People knew exactly what he meant. Leave behind the old way of life and embrace the new. God did not glide above the problems of the world. He didn't live in a throne. He lived just like we live, as one of us. He was right there in the midst of the world for all the world to see and nowhere to hide. But that analogy aside which I naturally came up with as I was driving that MG from Dallas to Houston in the rain with 18 mile, you know, 18 wheelers like plowing by me at 85 miles an hour, deathly afraid of my life. What difference does it make that God became flesh? Well, the theological reason is something that we should all be able to answer. It really is the gospel, right? That uh, in order for God to save humans, there needed to be a perfect human who could offer a perfect sacrifice for us, who could be our perfect substitute. It's well summed up in 2 Corinthians 5.21, again, a verse we should know well. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the whole gospel in one sentence. But what is it worth to us that God became flesh? What difference still does it make, you know, beyond the whole salvation thing and theology? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever gone through something in life, maybe something especially hard, but I guess also something especially joyous, and you found comfort in knowing someone else who had gone through the same thing. For example, a parent who loses a child really can probably only speak about that with other parents who have lost a child. Or maybe someone who deals with chronic pain. Well, someone else who suffers from the same, they can relate to one another. 
There's a bond there that you just can't... Or veterans who can trade war stories. I'd be out of that conversation, would have nothing to offer. In other words, do shared experiences matter? When we pray to God, does it matter that you are praying to a God who deeply understands human fallibility, temptation, loss, death, physical pain, hunger, poverty? I think it should. But maybe we forget, or maybe we don't really believe that God really shared our condition. Maybe we think that because Jesus was God, life was somehow easier for him. Or he was never really tempted. Well, that just isn't the case. When we pray to God, we can be certain that whatever it is we are going through, God has intimate knowledge of that experience. The author of Hebrews thought that this was important. He writes this in Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. It is normal for us, and I don't even think it's wrong, for us to have a reverent fear of God. It, it's how things ought to be, in fact. For God is holy, and God is good. And when we sin, we may believe, because God is holy, and God is good, that God cannot forgive us. Because he just doesn't understand how hard it is for us to avoid temptation. Well, then he cannot possibly forgive us. But the message of Christmas is the exact opposite of that. Because God knows how hard it is to live as a fallen human in this world, he is sympathetic to your condition. God knows that we grieve and that we are tempted and that we are anxious and angry and afraid. And what he wants you to know, I think, is that you don't have to be perfect because he was perfect for you. He is not a God who is ignorant of our condition. He is well aware of it. And in spite of that, or maybe because of that, he has mercy on you. He understands your hardship. Your call is to trust in this God who knows of your hardships, and he will show you mercy. Amen.